Welcome to the High Praises Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Would you stand with me? And I want to get to the word because he told me I had just a limited time, only two hours. And uh, I speak today on the subject from overwhelmed to overwhelmed. Psalm 61, let's read this together. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Verse 8. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. Holy Ghost, we thank you for the presence that's already in this place, that you were here before we got here. And Lord, you says we're waiting on us to come to get in here. We've been lifting up praise of hands, claps, and of worship to you and of voices, but now let your word speak to us. Let your word minister to us, Lord, that when we leave this day, this place today, we know that we have been in the presence, in the place of a holy God. Lord, let us understand that you are still God and you are still on the throne. And when we are overwhelmed, we know that you are the one that directs us. Anoint me today. Anoint my voice. Anoint my body. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my, of my heart be acceptable to you. But Lord, let them see you and not me. Let them hear you and not me. Let your word transform today, we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, you may be seated. Have you ever thought about the things that, um, that make you overwhelmed? Your horn gets stuck on the interstate behind 32 Hell's Angels. Your twin sister forgets your birthday. Your income tax refund check bounces. Your four-year-old comes in and says, Mom, Dad, I found out that you can't flush a grapefruit down the toilet. <laughs> or someone comes to you and says, You look great for 40, and you're 25. <laughs> I went to Hardy's one day, and I ordered a biscuit and gravy and a coffee. And the little girl behind the counter said, That's a biscuit and gravy and a senior coffee. I said, Ma'am, how old do you think I look? She said, Well, that's a biscuit and gravy and a senior coffee. My little granddaughter, she was six years old, and we get to see, see our grandkids about twice a year. They're playing a church out in California, and she was sitting next to me and rubbing all over me, holding my hand. And boy, you know, Dad, Grandpa Papa was just feeling so warm inside, and she, rubs my, she looks at my hand, and she says, Papa, just how old are you? <laughs> you know you're overwhelmed when you get on your own nerves. Well, I'm sure I don't have to tell you that life can be overwhelming. The past couple of years, we've understood that our, our world, our nation, our cities, our communities, our churches have been overwhelmed. In the last couple of years, due to COVID and the observance, we've observed churches moving from just mere weekly ministries to now we have to go to online experiences. And now churches and pastors are rediscovering how to pastor a church in a post-pandemic society. We've observed the cry for help as Ukraine cried out when Russia was bombing them. We've been in constant prayer for Israel as they responded to the relentless and brutal attack we come from their terrorists. And now the U.S. and the military is striking Syria and Iraq due to the drones killing our own servicemen. 
We notice the Pope's approval of same-sex couples and now the true abrogation of spiritual leadership. And on the home front, all of us at one time or another has had our share of overwhelm. I know I have. <laughs> the last couple of years, my family went through some things and our sense of overwhelm, and we wondered what was going to happen next. I was a ball player all my life, and because of that, I tore my body up, and I had to go through rotator cuff surgery. I was overseer of Louisiana at the time and had just gone through rotator cuff surgery, and everybody knows that's a, that's a surgery from hell if you've ever been there. And I was recovering and now had the opportunity where I could do my own, my own rehab. Everything was great. And then I found out only the next week that I, the, the doctors discovered that I had a, a very rare stomach cancer. While I was there, our church, was, our states was being destroyed and inundated with storms. We had 12 major storms in four years. I didn't have time to deal with cancer. <laughs> the doctors came to me and said, we don't know what to do with you. In fact, he actually put it this way. There's no protocol for you. There's no book that we can turn to to tell what we, how to treat you. He looked at me and said, I've gone to six other doctors and none of us can agree how to handle your case or what to do with you. The doctor said, this is very unusual. I said, well, that's why you practice. Somebody has to keep you practicing. It might as well be me. <laughs> Sorry, doctors, if you're in here. After three procedures, they thought they had all the cancer. Man, life was looking up. Life was looking great, or so we thought. A couple of months later, my son-in-law, who's planning a church in San Diego, California, along with my daughter and two granddaughters and, and his uh, mother and father that had moved out there with them to help start the church, he watched his 56-year-old dad die of a massive heart attack. He had to watch him die there. Six weeks later, my dad had to go into the hospital. We don't know what the reason were. We, it wasn't COVID. We don't know what the issue was. And for 20 days, we had to sit there and watch my dad die slowly. While I'm in Kentucky with my dad in the hospital, Hurricane Laura was there destroying parts of Lake Charles, Louisiana. A month later, at the exact same spot, another hurricane came and hit that while I'm dealing with my dad, while I'm watching him go through that, while I'm listening and hearing the things about my cancer and the issues with my son-in-law going through his issues. In fact, then Hurricane Ida came along. Well, when Hurricane Ida came along, we had another issue because my other son-in-law found out that his dad, 56 years of age, had cancer and he died shortly thereafter. When Ida came, we had issues. If you show this on the screen... I think they got the picture. This was my war board when Hurricane Ida hit. This was my day, every day, every day, every moment, every day. But here's my favorite part. Look at the next one. I loved it. A few months later, we could put complete. Aren't you glad when God does great complete things in his life? We then moved to Mississippi as the administrative bishop there, as the overseer there. And two weeks after moving, well, I thought everything was great. I get a call from my oncologist. The oncologist says, you need to come and see me rather quickly because something is going strange in your body. We thought we had it all. We thought everything was under control, but your blood numbers are way out of whack. Your chromogranin A should be below 100. When they discovered my cancer, it was 20. And he says, now your cancer numbers are over 2,200. You need to get down here into Baton Rouge, and you need to get here quickly. So on December the 6th, 2022, I went through stomach surgery. 
Well, six months later, we had our summer celebration or a camp meeting. Jean was walking into the ladies' meeting, to the ladies' uh, service. And while she's walking in, she gets a phone call from her mom, from her mom's phone. She said, what's mom calling me for? Because she knows I've got services this morning. She picks up and says, hey, mom. And it was her mother's doctor. And their mother's doctor was there with her and her father and said, I hate to tell you this over the phone, but your mother has terminal cancer. And she died two months to the day after the diagnosis. And now we're dealing with Gene's father who has mid-stage dementia. This is just personal issues. That doesn't matter all the things that we had to deal with as an administrative bishop. And that's just my story. And I know you've got your story. My story's not harder than yours and your story's not harder than mine. All of us have gone through things. It just tells me that all the personal issues of life and all the world crisis tells us that it comes with a price. That people are dealing with anxiety and depression and loneliness and heartbreak and a major feeling that one's world is out of control. And maybe you felt there and said, God, where are you in the midst of this? Or maybe, like David, you're crying out in your suffering and in your sorrow and in your pain and in your anguish. Listen, I'm telling you that the issues of life of your family and the things that you're going through makes you get to the place where you feel like your life is overwhelmed. My point is this, that there are times when life just plain hurts. Psalm 61 was written while David is walking through one of the most difficult times of his life. Many scholars believe that David wrote this toward the end of his exile from Jerusalem when his son Absalom had come against him in 2 Samuel 13 through 18. Absalom, we know the story, had, had killed his brother Abnon for assaulting their sister Tamar, and he flees from David. David forgives him. After 40 years, though, we find that now Absalom revolts, and he does his best to take his father's throne and to take his father's life. As a result of Absalom's actions, David has now been exiled from his family and exiled from everyone that he knew. And the only reason why David handled this was due to the grace of God. And so when the psalm was written, the rebellion is over. Absalom is dead. David is headed home for his rightful place on the throne as the king of Israel. He's going home, but he's going home with a heart filled with sorrow. Out of a broken heart of this shattered father. We read the words of someone that has been overwhelmed by the issues of life. And I want to speak to you just for a few moments on moving from overwhelmed to overwhelmed. That while the feelings of overwhelm will come over you because of your issues, I want you to know that you can be overwhelmed by the glory of God. And His presence is here to set you free when you're overwhelmed. There's four things that Psalm 61 brings to us. We'll be through about 4 o'clock today. We'll be good. Here's the first one. Here's the first one, and that is when you're overwhelmed, cry out to God. When you're overwhelmed, cry out to God. When we read Psalm 61, we sense that David's desperation as he describes his desire for God to help him during his times of distress. This is the cry of a broken-hearted man. You can feel his overwhelming sense of loss and his overwhelming sense of sorrow and defeat. His crushed soul, David now, is pleased with God and he lays himself bare and he wants the Lord to attend to his prayer. How do we know that David is so serious? We find it because of the words that he uses in Psalm 61. When David says, hear my cry, it's not a sympathetic ear that he wants, but he wants active intervention. The imperative mood of the word hear or shama really means to listen with interest and concern. My daughter Lauren, she's about five or six years of age, and she was talking to Jean. You know, Jean's uh, Jean's, uh, nickname is Hurricane Jean because she's just all over the place. 
And so she was talking to her, my wife. She was just doing her busy stuff that my wife always does her busy stuff with. And finally, Lauren crawled up in her nap, lap, grabbed a hold of her mom's face and turned it to her and says, Mama, listen to me when I'm talking to you. That's what David is saying. God, listen to me with interest and concern. Listen to me with, with interest with my life. And so then he says, but hear my cry, which is a piercing, ringing cry, a plaintive plea. It is a shout. Interestingly, it has also been translated singing, rejoicing, or joy and gladness and even triumph. So he says, Lord, I want you to turn your face to me. I want you to listen with interest with time when I'm crying out my words to you. Then he says, I want you to attend to me. That word attend means to prick up the ears. If you're a hunter, you watch the deer when they've heard a sound, prick up its ears. If you have a dog, you watch that dog prick up its ears. And so David is saying, I want you to prick up your ears and listen. Oh, aren't you thankful that you serve a God that hears even your slightest whisper? And he hears you when you cry out in the loudest cry that we have a God that loves us everlasting. And he's attentive to us when we cry. But then we get the picture. He says, from the end of the earth. From the end of the earth will I cry to you due to his fleeing from Absalom. Now David's perspective, he's as far away from God as he could ever feel. Spiritually and nationally and physically, he thinks I'm as far away from God. And see, he says, my heart is overwhelmed. What does it mean to be overwhelmed? Look at this definition. Overwhelmed means to be submerged under the weight of something. To be overtaken by a superior force. To throw a dark sheet over. To cover, create dark, to create darkness. To be enveloped as to become weak or faint. David finds himself at a place that many times that we have found ourselves covered up in total darkness. Have you ever been there? The sense that sorrows and pain and grief and woes have enveloped our heart and sapped us of all strength. If you've never been there, I invite you to live just a little bit longer. There are some things in life that come against us and struggle. There are times when problems and difficulties and trials just envelop us in our heart and it drains us of all energy right out of us and you don't know what to do you don't know what to say you don't know how to handle your situation and all you do all you can do is cry oh I've discovered sometimes in life all there is is a cry sometimes there are no words words are not adequate for what you can say of your hurt and of your pain and your anxiety and all you can do is cry and moan out to God Listen, when that news came to me, all I could do was cry out, Psalm 118, verse 17. I shall not die but live and declare the wonderful works of God. I shall not die but live and declare the wonderful works of God. I would go into my prayer closet and I didn't have words to say. I had babies. I had grandbabies. I had world lives I had to take care of in churches. I, had, I didn't have time for this. And I'd have to grow in my prayer closet. And all I could do sometimes was moan, Oh, God, hear me cry oh lord hear my and romans 8 romans 8 23 start coming to me that all of us it says to us who are the first fruits of the spirit even ourselves grown within ourselves waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body i had to lean on romans 8 26 when he says the spirit himself in our weaknesses for when we do not know what we should pray for us but the spirit himself makes groan intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered sometimes all you have is a cry sometimes all you have is a moan sometimes all you can 
can do is go before the Lord and say, Lord, hear me, O Lord. Hear me, O Lord. And sometimes it's just a moan. Listen, can I tell you, the Holy Spirit can intercept and understand your cries. He understands your moans. And when you don't know what to say, don't worry about what you have to say. Just give it to the Lord and cry out to him. Oh, I discovered when you're at the end of yourself, there's a God you can cry out to. When you're at the end with the doctors, no, you can cry out to him. When you're at the end of your knowledge and the end of your capabilities and the end of your finances, I want you to know you can cry out to God and God hears you. Oh, somebody praise him in this place. You can cry out because he's promised to hear you. Jeremiah 33, 3 just tells us, he said, call to me and I will answer you and I love it and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. There were things I didn't know and things that you don't know. I didn't know really what I was facing or the struggles I was about to go through, but God knew all about it. And when I would moan out to him and cry out to him, he knew how to answer me because Psalm 145, 18 says, the Lord is near to all who call upon him and call upon him on truth. I'm about to run all over this place. I am trying my best to be good. David understood the power of a cry. David understood when you moan, he, he grabbed a hold of what those words would be. He still had the sense of the confidence that was there. He knew the power of the cry. In his desperation, he de cried out and God delivered him. He cried out and God brought him out of the pit. He cried out in the midst of his cave and God brought him solace. He cried out in the midst of his hurt and of his difficulties. He knew the power of a cry. And he says, from the end of the earth. That's why he said in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to hell, there, you're there. It doesn't matter where I go. God, you are there. I'm telling you, when you're in the midst of overwhelm, just cry out to God. He knows where you are. He knows the situation where you are. You've not gone too far from God to help you. Here's the second thing. When your heart is overwhelmed, allow God to lead you. Woo. We're thankful to know that God hears us and we're thankful to know that he is attentive to our needs when we cry. But listen to me, hearing alone does not get us to where we need to be. Especially when you're zapped of all strength and energy. I find it interesting that David stated when his heart was overwhelmed, he said to Lead me. The emphasis is on the heart all through Scripture. I don't have time to go through a lot of Scriptures with you. But all through Scripture, it tells us about the importance of the heart. One example is Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the wellsprings of life. And now we know when issues happen, we hear people say, My heart stopped, and the blood started to drain right out of me. Have you ever been to that place? Don't know what to say, how to respond, how to act. And when the action of the heart is paralyzed, even temporarily, the whole body feels it. Because with a, a chill in the heart brings a cold vibration to every limb of your, limb of your body. That's why, the, that's why Satan wants to get you overwhelmed. He works on the heart to paralyze our life. And to take the very wellsprings of life away from us. 
So when our heart is overwhelmed, we feel this gradual numbing of our heart, the gradual diminution, if you will, the quickness of its speed, a gradual closing in and a pressure and a weight. And then David vividly portrays his heart submerged under the great weight of a feeling that he can't understand. Please understand what David, the point that he's making here. This is about more than an emotional response to the issues he's facing. No, we're talking about total exhaustion. This is when your whole being runs out of energy. It's those days that you feel without hope. Those days that you feel like you have no strength and you have no courage and your heart is faint. You become weary and drained physically and emotionally. Listen, I understand those feelings of overwhelm. I pastored in Baton Rouge, actually pastored in Louisiana for eight years. And before becoming an overseer there, I pastored a long-term church in Alabama. And now after being in the Midlands region, Iowa, Nebraska, they put me back in, in uh, Louisiana. And I had pastored in Baton Rouge. Had a church that would, grew four times the size it was when we went there. And so there were days I walked into Mary Bird Perkins Cancer Center with members. I'd walk, I'd go, drive over there, I'd walk with them up to the, go to the elevator, hit the fifth floor, you hit the fifth floor, you drive up and you, you get up in the elevator, you walk out the elevator, you go to the doctor's office and, and I'm sitting there. So right there, I was sitting there with people hearing their ominous news that they had cancer. Now here it is, years later, I'm the one driving down the road. I'm the one getting out of my own car. Walking to the elevator and punching the fifth floor. I'm the one having to walk out. My wife wasn't with me that day. We didn't know this was the news we were going to get when he called me and said, Oh, by the way, you're my first patient this morning. Drive to three hours to get down here to see me. And I didn't understand all of that. And so Gene is with the ladies, and we didn't know that was going to happen. Now I'm the one walking into the same Mary Bird Perkins Cancer Center, into the same room looking at an oncologist that looks at me and says, I'm sorry to tell you, but you've got cancer. There's no protocol for you. I just described to you a few of the things that we had been through recently. <laughs> Prior to that, I didn't have time for cancer. Our family had been through enough tragedy. Overwhelmed is an understatement. But through it all, this is what I've discovered. Look at this on the screen. That faith's greatest triumphs are achieved in our heaviest trials. Face greatest triumphs are achieved in our heaviest trials. When the overwhelming feeling of affliction had come over me and encompassing me with a dark cloud around me, swallowing me up like a sea and shutting me in like a thick darkness, I discovered my strength and my joy and my peace and my comfort came from knowing a God that is near enough to me to hear my cry and to love on me. And he came to my life. But I love what David says here. He did not say direct me. He said lead me. <laughs> Woo! I'm thankful for a God that didn't say, if you'll go down to that water cooler down there, if you'll go back over here, I'm going to direct you over there, you'll, you'll find me. No, he took me by the hand and led me through. David said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me. He's depleted of strength. He's unable to find his way. And he knew that God would take his hand to lead him. Listen, David could cry out about God to lead him because he understood the process of being led. 
All of his life he had been led by God. As a young man, he was led to be anointed king by Samuel. As a teenager, he was led to kill the Goliath. He was led to kill the lion and the bear. God led him as he fled from Saul. He led him as he won many battles. God led him as he became king of Israel. Oh, yes, David knew the struggles of life. He knew the blessings of life. But he, he knew the weariness of life. But he knew that he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And he leads me into paths of righteousness. I'm thankful for a God that leads me. That's why I can sing the psalm of the hymn. He leadeth me, O blessed thought. O heavenly words of comfort fraught. Whatever I do, where I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. It's his hand that leads me to where I need to be. God's leading brings peace and comfort and security and strength. And, and when we're weary and overwhelmed in a vulnerability, a mission of need, we can truly lean on 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Listen, when God leads you, there's times you don't feel it. There were times I didn't feel anything. I would get up in the morning and knew what I was facing that day. I didn't feel a thing, but I didn't have to go on my feelings. I went by the God whose hand led me through the darkness of my overwhelm. That's why he's a way maker and a miracle worker and a promise keeper. He's mending your heart. He's leading your heart. He's taking you to where you didn't think you could go. Somebody needs to praise him in here because he's leading your life. When you're overwhelmed, thirdly, become overwhelmed with who he is. When David cried out to the Lord, lead me. It was a specific request. Notice what it says here. Look in the notes. David is both confessing human inadequacy and affirming divine sufficiency. What's interesting in this passage is that David did not ask to be led to higher heights for mere safety. He said, lead me to the rock. Isn't that interesting? David is overwhelmed by the issues of life, but now he's about to be overwhelmed by who God is. Look at this definition of overwhelmed it also means to be overpowered by your thoughts and your feelings. Listen, when you realize who God is, you'll be overwhelmed by his grace and by his mercy. When David thinks about the rock that is higher than I, he's being overwhelmed and overpowered by his thoughts and feelings. His turmoil is about to receive a turnaround, bringing him total victory, and I feel turnaround in the house here today. I was telling Chris over there, I said, man, I can't hardly stand myself. I want the microphone right now. I just know there's a turnaround in the house today. Some of you are overwhelmed, and some of you came in here not knowing what to do tomorrow or the next day. Don't worry about it. God is in the house, and your turnaround is right here. Your turnaround is about to take place hallelujah we know that rock is a metaphor for safety and protection and salvation we all look for a rock to protect us something immovable and changing and reliable but David's not looking for an earthly place David knew the counterfeit gods he had experienced them he knew that the counterfeit gods of money and sex and power and success and fame and family would crumble and crack and would not sustain him. That's why he said, don't lead me to a rock. Lead me to the rock. That's why David could say in Psalm 62, verse 2, that he only is my rock and my salvation and my fortress, and I shall not be greatly shaken. I'm so thankful for a God of strength and power. Forgive me for keep telling my story, but my story is my story, and my story shows history of what God can do through you. 
When the word cancer seemed to overwhelm me, I knew that in my own strength, I couldn't stand. Oh, yes, I could put a smile on. You know, like most of us do, fake it till you make it. I could put a smile on, and I did. I had churches to attend to. And by the way, I didn't want to bring everybody down with my issues. You ever been around those that you know you don't want to speak to them when you see them coming? You better pack a lunch. My lumbago been hurting me, my knee. You came in fired up, and you were left leaving. Oh, my back's hurting too. I didn't want to bring everybody down with my issues. But I knew that I would not have peace or security. I wouldn't have the ability to keep me moving forward on my own. And so when the news came and it seemed, it seemed like every billboard has something to do with cancer. Every conversation I would hear, someone's talking about cancer. I even had to do funerals of people that died with cancer. It's like when you're fasting, all you see is food. The news would always seem to overwhelm my thoughts. I don't forget, my wife and I were standing and had a couple come up and they started talking about the cancer and what had happened in her life and Jean saw it on my face. I normally have a pretty good face that doesn't show what I'm going through, but this time it just, it just hit me. And Jean saw it when they walked away. She said, that hit you like I said, it hit me in the gut. I can tell you because I'm hearing the same thing that I've been hearing. It doesn't mean I didn't have faith. Man, I was human. I found myself in David's situation. I needed the stability and I needed that in a time of turmoil, I needed God to take me to a place that I couldn't get there in my own power. Now listen, you can sing your way to victory and you, you, can, you can act your way into feeling. You can do all different kinds of stuff, but there comes a time when you're overwhelmed and you're tired and that dark sheet has come over you and you feel like you're encompassed around about this. Sometimes you can sing the songs of Zion all you want to, but sometimes those difficult hours come. Sometimes those things hit you so hard and you wonder, how can I get past this in the midst of it? In my difficult hours, though, that's where I found the rock. I found the rock that is higher than I. It's higher than my pain and higher than my anxiety higher than my fear I discovered when the doctors do not know what to do and the medical books have no protocol for your situation and the enemy throws up their hands and they say we don't know what to do with you I discovered a God that does know what I have need of I discovered a God that has power of my burden I discovered a God that has ability to meet my needs he's a God that helps me face the situation of life he is the rock he is the strength he is your power That's why he says in Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask, think, or imagine according to the power that works within you. I don't have power inside of myself. I've got power through him that gives me the strength to carry through in the midst of it. Look at this next statement. The overwhelming issues of life are difficult to face. But when overwhelm meets faith, we find a God who is able to hear us Help us, hide us, and overwhelm us with who he is. Somebody needs to take a screenshot of that right there. You'll need that tomorrow. The reason David could feel confident, the reason I feel confident, the reason why you can and you should feel confident is because there's a God that leaves the rock of provision. Now find it interesting. Look at this next statement. In the midst of David's cry, he uses the past tense to help his present dilemma. Notice in verse 3, 
for you have been. Say have been. The Hebrew verb haya is used to an active voice or an emphatic sense. And it tells us that it's an action that has already been completed. David realized that his present need rested on God's past performance. Let that sink in. Perhaps David, I just put myself in watching him as he's penning Psalm 61. I can think that now David's starting to remember some things. He remembers the sorrows and the troubles that stalked him. He remembers that God gave him victory as a boy over the lion and the bear. He remembers God giving him victory over the giant. He remembers God sheltering him in the murderous rage of King Saul. He remembers that God delivered him from the wrath of his own son. David remembers in every trial that he ever faced, God provided a place of safety and protection. So based on God's past performance, he's certain that God will not fail him now. Listen, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that brought you through the water waters of misery yesterday is the same God that brings you through today and he'll take you through tomorrow because he leads you he leads you he leads you. time and time again he would be a shelter he said a refuge a place of hope Job, Job 24 verse 8 he said pictures God as a refuge from the rain in Psalm 94 verse 2 he's the rock of refuge in Isaiah 25 4 he's a refuge from the storm he's a place of safety listen for David says you have been my shelter but then he doesn't stop there he said you've been a strong tower from the enemy you have to look at what he's saying now that term tower is a high citadel it's a place above the fight and the fray he doesn't stop at just tower. He says a strong tower. You're a strong tower to be stout and sturdy. David's point is this. That all through his attacks and all through the battles and the sorrows of his life that God was with him. That God provided a place of protection. That God provided a place for him to flee. Listen, it's a picture of him saying, listen, God is higher than the fight. He's higher than the fray. He's higher than the battles. He's higher than cancer. He's higher than diabetes. He's higher than heart issues. He's still the God that you can run into and find the safety and security in your life. There comes a time you just have to be overwhelmed by who he is. You know, it's kind of ominous when you walk into a doctor's office. They got on the white coats. And they got the, all the stuff around and tells them who they are, their protocol, and how many degrees they have, and what their doctor degree says. And my oncologist is a phenomenal doctor, phenomenal doctor. When you got to put your life in a man's hand, sometimes you just wonder. Boy, I sure hope you didn't come in last in your class. They <laughs> know what I'm talking about out there. Whoo, but I come out of that, I'll never forget the day I come out of that room. And I'm walking out of there, and man, you hear that news, but all of a sudden the you know, word, the word just starts coming to you. Aren't you thankful for the word that sustains you? 
I was walking through there and all of a sudden I, the word starts coming to me of Proverbs 18 verse 10 the name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous run into it and they're saved and Psalm 46 verse 1 God is our refuge and God is our strength a very present help in the time of trouble therefore we will not fear even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be cast into the midst of the sea and the waters roar and there thereof and are troubled though the mountains shake with its swelling I started saying but wait a minute doctor I know doctor you have doctor besides your name I know you have all these degrees besides your name and I know you're great and you're awesome but I tell you there's somebody higher than you his name is God Almighty I have discovered that in the midst of my overwhelm he is a God that's my provider he's my protector he's my creator he's my life giver he's my sustainer he's my strength and praise God he's my healer he is my all in all he's my redeemer he's my sanctifier he's my Holy Ghost baptizer I'm telling you there's a God that comes to you when you are overwhelmed somebody needs to praise him right now in the midst of your overwhelm your victory is right here my Lord let me go on to the last point when you are overwhelmed become overwhelmed by his presence this is my favorite point after David testified about who God had been to him now he informs God that he wants to abide and trust in his presence when David says, I want to abide in the tabernacle, he was not saying he was going to come and visit. In fact, the word abide there used means to inhabit or to dwell as an overnight guest. The verb tense tells us that's incomplete action. That he was declaring, Lord, this is not a coffee break. In the midst of my struggles, Lord, I'm coming to you to continually stay in your tabernacle. Now, now please don't miss what David is saying here. He says, I will abide in your tabernacle, in your tabernacle. So now we find that David is, is putting himself totally, completely into the grace of God, trusting God to sustain him and help him to be with him. Now notice this. Since David is not a priest, we know that he's not talking about the physical tabernacle. He's talking about the very presence of God. This is as if David is saying, Now, God, I know that I can't dwell in the tabernacle of Jerusalem. <laughs> but I can abide in. I can trust in your presence. David's consuming, ongoing thought of his life was to abide in the presence of an awesome God. That's why he wrote in Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that's, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his holy temple. Look at this statement. David knew if he were to abide in the tabernacle of God's presence, he would be sustained. Holy Ghost. But just abiding in the tabernacle was not good enough for David. He proclaimed that all he had been through, and now he says, I will trust. Now get a hold of this. I will trust in the shelter of his wings. To some, they get the picture. We've read it through. There was the mother hen. The chicks come running, and she opens up her wings, and the, the chicks come underneath, and we say, well, that's the, the abiding in the shelter of his wings. But with Psalm 61, it's a little bit different. Remember, it says, I want to abide in your, your tabernacle and trust in the shelter of your wings. I say it very would could be 
the wings of the mercy seat. This is a reference of the dwelling place of the Ark of the Covenant. And the wings of the golden cherub and overshadowing the mercy seat of the tabernacle. Why would David say, I want to I abide in your tabernacle and trust in the shelter of your wings? Because David understood the, the ability of the presence of dwelling in the Ark of the Covenants. And he understood the importance of the mercy seat. He knew that the mercy seat was the place where sin was absolved through the shedding of the blood. He knew it was a place where God's presence would commune with him. He knew it was a place where healing and deliverance would be there. He knew it represented provision and protection of an almighty God he knew that when the ark of the covenant went ahead victory would come because with the ark of the covenant we saw the, the Jericho walls would fall down and we found that the river Jordan would split wide open wherever the ark of the covenant is there is victory oh where the ark of the covenant was false gods of Dagon would have to fall David understood Lord I want to abide in your tabernacle I want to be in your presence in the shelter of your wings oh there's just something about being in the presence of the Lord. That's how you go from being overwhelmed to overwhelmed in His presence. Yes, Holy Ghost. Somebody right now. You've been running and you've been trying to press in, but you've been doing it in your own strength. And God just wants to be to remind you that listen, if you'll come to the mercy seat, if you'll just come running to me and get underneath the shadow of my wings, you can trust in my presence. In my presence, there's peace, and in my presence, there's joy. In my presence, there's the ability to move forward. I just want you to know that's been my experience that the musicians will come. Holy Ghost. Listen, I've been since early this morning praying over the altar call. I'm believing for deliverance today. I'm believing for an overpowering move of God on your life. I don't care what you've come in here with. I don't care what you're overwhelmed with. God is already here. the one to overwhelm you with who he is. And his presence has already been in this place. They've already been singing my message this morning, as you can tell. Texted Billy yesterday, and I said, Billy, do you all know the song, There's Joy in the House of the Lord? He texted me back. He said, Bishop, you're not going to believe this, but that's the first song we're singing tomorrow. I about ran all over my living room in my house. While abiding and resting in God's presence, I began to receive my strength. This sense of being overwhelmed and Shoulder recovery and assisting churches without a pastor and restoring destroyed churches from the storms and helping my son-in-laws go through the loss of their fathers while I'm going through the loss of, of my father and how to handle all those issues. It was there that I found the assurance of God in the mercy seat. The scripture says we can find a peace that passes all understanding, all human comprehension. You can't understand that peace until you've been there. Doctor called me in and he said, listen, I hate to tell you this, but we've got to do something here. The doctor looked at me and he said, well, you seem 
when they were telling me about the surgery I was going to have to have and the rerouting of my stomach and all kind of a bunch of other stuff you got to go through which you don't need to hear. Some of you start throwing up if I told you. The doctor looked at me and he said, you seem awful calm to be hearing this news. I said, Doc, you don't understand. He's a good Catholic man. I said, Doc, you don't understand. If I die, I'm a winner. If I live, I'm a winner. So, Doc, you do all that you can do, but I'm going to let God do all that he can do in me. (laughs) We scheduled the surgery on December the 6th of 2022, and the surgeon did all the work that he did, and at the six-month mark, man, I was feeling good, feeling great. Everything was awesome. It's great. He said, we're going to do another biopsy. We're going to do another scan, and we're going to do some more, some more blood work. And I was excited because I knew what I was going to hear. I was going to hear perfectly clear and whole. Now, remember, this is just six months after my surgery. This is right when we're going through the issues with Jean's mother, with her going through the issues of dying with cancer. And so I'm going at the six-month mark knowing that I'm just going to hear everything's great, wonderful, and grand. That was not the case. Went into the surgeon. The oncologist hadn't told me. My gastro doctor hadn't told me. And I'm sitting there for the, the surgeon as a follow-up. I and mean, I'm excited to hear that I'm never going to have to see you again. <laughs> he says, well, you know the tumor that we found. Excuse me? Uh, well, you know we, we found another tumor. No, sir. He could see the look on my face. He said, oh, hold on a second. He goes out and for an hour, my wife and I are sitting in the, in the room by ourselves. I'm going, what in the world is happening? He came in and he says, well, we're going to have to do another procedure. And uh, I'll let you know when it happens. So I'll go through another biopsy, go through and all other kind of stuff, you know, the six-month mark. And again, I started going through, I shall not live, I shall not die but live and declare the wonderful works of God. I shall not die but live to declare the wonderful works of God. I shall not die but live and declare the wonderful works of God. And he says, well, I'll call you. When I said, well, Doc, I had this pheasant hunting trip planned. I wasn't going to lay down and die. Have you noticed that some people die living? I want to live dying. Come on, I don't want to live dying. I want to die living. If I'm going to die, I'm going to live it out. I never forget that phone call. I was up there, the brilliant blue sky, the North Dakota sky, and the North Dakota sun was bringing me. It was cold, and I'm sitting there watching the dogs work and watching some pheasants fly that I couldn't shoot at just yet, and all of a sudden, I feel my phone ring, vibrate. I'm getting through all my clothes trying to get to it, and finally, I look at my phone, and, and it's the doctor's numb. And I just picked up the phone, and I said, yes, sir. Before I could say anything else, all of a sudden he said, I am one happy man. He said, your biopsy came back clean. He said, we're just waiting on the blood report. I said, Doc, I'm waiting on that blood report too. Well, I'm out there in the middle of that North Dakota sun, got my gun. Listen, I didn't care if a pheasant flew by or whatever. And all of a sudden, the phone rang again. It's my oncologist. He said, I just want you to know, Durwood, he said that that your blood work is perfectly normal. I tell you, does that mean I'm cancer-free? He said, it certainly appears that way. That's why I could say, as David said, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. Woo! Stand to your feet right now. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. 
For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.